I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under Networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to another episode of The Bird Calls. I'm your host and contributor to TheBirdRights.com, Preston Ellis. And today we're going to be covering the loss to the Celtics, the win against the Pistons, the G League play of Frank Jackson, trade targets, so much more. And per usual, we're joined by our triumvirate of Editor-in-Chief Ali Cosell of TheBirdRights.com, Kevin Berrios of The Same, David Grubb, Bird Rights, as well as Crescent City Sports. Usually I introduce these guys one by one, but today I just want to break things up, have a little bit of fun before we break glass on the fire alarm. Let's just take a second, get into the holiday spirit. I haven't talked to these guys in a while, and who knows, it might be the last time we get a chance to talk before. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Christmas. Ali, first of all, glad tidings to you, sir. Around the holidays, there's a bit of Good cheer, caroling, decorating, all that good stuff. But there's also a good deal of sports. Do you have a favorite holiday memory in regards to a particular sporting event? And if not, just name one of your favorite holiday traditions. <laughs> ah, I mean, Christmas games are always fun, you know, to look forward to for in every every NBA season. But for some reason, I really particularly like the one after the lockout because that just signaled the first day of the NBA season. So what was that? like seven years ago, six years ago. So I'll just go with that one because nothing else stands out like a game, like some famous shot, nothing like that. So I'm going to go with that. All right, Grubb. Uh, welcome, David Grubb from Crescent City Sports. Follow Ali at Ali Cosell and Grubb at DM Grubb. Grubb, do you have a, a favorite holiday sporting memory or just a, a general um, thing that you like doing around that time of year? Well, you know, my favorite ones when I was younger, you know, the Christmas games were – getting to see the Knicks and the Lakers on, you know, on Christmas day. Cause that's usually who the big games were um, at that time. And then as, as it went on, you know, you start to see the NBA expand more and more games. So Christmas really just became kind of like the unofficial start of the NBA season. So I've always loved that. Um, but as far as just personal traditions around that time of year, you know, it's for me, it's just always been um, as I became a parent, it just became, are my kids happy? And so every Christmas morning to me is just those, those couple of hours helping them get their stuff together and, and opening packages and, and just watching them. That, that's better than anything else. That's awesome, man. Kevin, I know you've been busy, sir. It's so good to hear your voice again. Uh, talk about some of your favorite holiday memories. Uh, I don't really have any, Preston. I was hoping <laughs> you were going to change the, the <laughs> by the time you got to me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, like Christmas Day is, was like my grandfather's birthday and he was a twin so that was always like a big family day over there at my grandmother's house and it like took up the whole day so I never got to watch any games so I never really saw any Christmas day games ever um it's still kind of that way even though my grandfather has passed now but um yeah that's really it and then I'm not really much for tradition or or religion or capitalism so not much on Christmas memories. Sorry. <laughs> All right. No worries. Uh, I'll, I'll bring up one of mine anyway, because that's probably the whole reason I did this. Uh, <laughs> my my dad used to take me to a bunch of Saints games, probably the Cowboys uh, win in 1999. It was a terrible season. I think that's the year we went three and 13, uh, the year that Mike Dick ended up getting fired. But probably my best one was Christmas Eve 2006. It was my first year in New York. My dad uh, kind of watching the Saints was always our thing. And he bought me tickets in New York to see the Giants 
Um, and it ended up being, I think, the first game Reggie Bush had over 100 yards rushing. I think the the Saints even won uh, a playoff spot on that day. And I got called Katrina a fair number of times. Uh, so not not the warmest crowd, but definitely an awesome memory. Uh, so definitely want to shout that out and make sure that everybody has has a pleasant holiday. I know we're a bit early two weeks until Christmas and whatever you celebrate props to you. Hope you have a wonderful time with your friends and family. All right, let's get to the part of the show that I've been putting off. It's time to talk basketball. Uh, the Pelicans have not won two games straight in their last 12 tries. They fall below 500 yet again against a Celtic squad that played without five of their rotational pieces, but still this is much of the same unit that took the Cavs to game seven last year. And the Celtics have been surging of late. They do have the number one rated defense in the NBA. They've won their last six now, including a franchise best 56 point victory over the Bulls. That's now uh, started this whole mutiny craze on Twitter. Uh, but the Pelicans, again, this season look to be without consistency. Uh, this this season similarly uh, kind of echoes what happened last season when the Pelicans were 15 and 16 and 19 and 20 before tearing their way through January. Ali, the Pelicans have played 17 games in 30 days, nine of which came on the road. The team has been without Nico, Etwan Moore, Anthony Davis, Alfred Payton, and Darius Miller for 37 games and have gotten next to nothing from the bench. Anthony Davis was quoted last night after the loss. He said, every time we've had a full roster, we've been a tough team to beat, but we still have to find a way to win. Injuries are a part of the game. You can't control them. That's why we have 12 guys in the roster. Ali, do these Pelicans deserve a break? From us? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, honestly, they, they kind of do because things could actually be worse. You know, I was looking at some stuff. I know they've alternated wins and losses, and I know that their effort has been suspect seemingly like for the last month or so in certain games. But you know what? They're still five games out. Or is it five or five and a half games out of first place in the Western Conference? Really, it's anybody's race, and it's simply because of that. It's almost like they're fortunate. It's just simply because everything has happened around them. So, yeah, I think we should give them a little bit of slack. Um, I don't know. I mean, because we have been hard, and uh, sorry, I got my dog jumping all over me. And so Anthony Davis, you know, he's he's a team leader. We expect – got to first look at the guys that are leading the team, and he's a team leader. And when he speaks – you expect him to follow up on his words. So when he says uh, they've gone through a whole bunch of stuff, and it's true, they're not a deep team. They're about six, seven men deep, and Nico hasn't been the same since his ankle injury. We just learned from yesterday from Alvin Gentry for over a month now, and the numbers reflect that. Same thing with Etuan Moore, no Alfred Payton. So in a sense, he's right, because the players can only do so much at a time when there's really no other depth to fill in those roles. But again, you know, and I'm sure we're going to get to it, especially last night. There's things that they can do better. But granted, I'm going to let somebody else talk. But yeah, I think we should give them just a little bit of a break. Yeah, let's go to Kevin, because we haven't heard uh, Kevin for a while. I know that I've been present on Twitter as well as Grub and Ali, and pretty much all of our listeners know where we stand on this. But Kevin, we haven't really heard a lot from you. Um, t tell us a bit about your reflection of these past 12 games, the Pelicans seemingly on off switch that tends to, to take place on a night to night basis. Yeah, I think it trickles down to the things that we've been saying, all the three of, well, the four of us, sorry, uh, have been saying uh, pretty much for weeks now, or maybe even a little over a month now, that they need to add more players. They don't need to get another star. They just need to have that bench be better. And one of those players needs to be a starting or six man level point guard because, you know, a lot of the issues are perimeter defensive issues, their playmaking issues. And look, we, we thought, you know, we've heard all along that Anthony Davis doesn't want to play center thing. And, you know, then became the Drew Holiday debate of moving him off the ball. And But he never really made noise about that. We never knew that he felt that way um, until very recently. In fact, when he came out and said it, it almost seemed like he was being sarcastic, making fun of what people were saying on Twitter that he needs to be off the ball. But then he came out clearly demanded being that he wanted to be off the ball. Um, so with playing Tim Frazier, you know, it's helped start games, but at the end it's hard to play Tim Frazier to close out games because he's so bad defensively. And then you have to put Drew back on the ball and that takes him out of his comfort zone, um, takes him out of what he wants to do. So just, you know, even when Elfrey comes back, we still need another ball handler, especially with a thin bench and the kind of bench that we have where we don't have a guy that can create for himself on that bench, you need to be able to play another point guard in there with them. And I think that'll help things out. Um, 
But other than that, yeah, it's hard to be too hard on them because definitely they played a lot of games and they played with a lot of men down and they played with a lot of injuries. You know, even Anthony Davis playing yesterday, I was surprised after the way he looked um, in the night before coming back. You know, he was basically an offensive minus um, coming back in that game, could still defend a little bit. And I feel like sometimes when he's playing that way that the rest of the team is still trying to get him going and it takes them out of their games. Whereas last night, you know, he was, he was on, he was fine offensively. Um, so it looked a little bit better, although just everything else collapsed. Defensive rotations were terrible. Closeouts were terrible. Um, there was no rim protection when he wasn't on the court. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a lot of things, but I think, you know, adding, if you could add one or two more, qualified NBA players, guys that you can rely on more because we're not getting anything from Ian Clark. We're getting very little from Darius Miller. He's had a stretch of decent games, but that's still like grading on a curve when you're looking at it because he's not really, you know, he's not really standing out. He's just standing out because he's been so bad. Um, So we're seeing positives from him and we get excited about it, but he's still not really a difference maker. And then checks up and down, even when he's really good, he's not really making that big of an impact. We need that guy to come in and cook. And, uh, you know, it was clear Miritich, something's been wrong with him. He His shot's been off. Uh, he's been bad defensively. We saw how much better he played defensively earlier in the season and towards the end of last season. So we know what he's capable of. And he just hasn't put it together so far this season, but he's been bothered by injuries, the flu, things like that. Etwan's been hurt. so. Hopefully, you know, getting some space between games, getting people healthy will fix some of these problems, but they still need to get acquire definitely another ball handler and hopefully maybe some somebody who can help on the wing. Yeah, Grub, I definitely think we should give them some latitude. However, I've never gone through an NBA season as as none of us have, but we did see last season that the Pelicans, you know, played pretty admirably uh, in five games and six nights. I think it was seven games in nine nights, three games in three days. And we saw them win all three of those games. And if these guys are, are falling short in the fourth quarter, if their shots start to, you know, hit the front of the rim, we can afford them some kind of latitude. But I've highlighted some of these things, as I know you guys have, just simple things like, on a defensive possession, just boxing out uh, the defender as he approaches the paint. Uh, I, I highlighted Darius Miller failing to do that last night when the Celtics got two offensive rebounds in a row that led to their possession and free throws. There are simple things these Pelicans can do. They, I mean, <laughs> we can give them a break if nothing else, but they can ask Alvin Gentry for a break, uh, for a break. kind of go through the rotation a bit further. He mentioned Czech Diallo. We've got guys on the end of the bench, Jaleel Okafor. How much ownership should we give to the players uh, or how much culpability should we give to them for some of the lack of effort we've seen in the first quarters? I mean, you know, I think like Kevin was saying, you know, the general consensus I believe is that, yeah, this team just doesn't have enough depth. And we talked about that from game one. Um, I don't, I'm not big on giving teams a bunch of leeway because everybody faces um, these situations. I mean, you look at what Denver's going through right now. You know, losing Paul Millsap for, what, four to six weeks with a broken toe. Gary Harris is going down. I think they've had, they've had so many injuries that they've had to get an exception from the league so that they could sign Nick Young. And nobody's crying for this is just This is the way it goes. Now, if we want to talk about how we got here, and you say, okay, number one, Dell didn't, you know, he promised that this team was deeper and better than it was a year ago. We were all skeptical of that. It's not deeper. We know that. It's top-heavy but it's not deeper. The second part, like you said, those mental mistakes, those are things that fall directly on players. When you turn the ball over and you, and you make the passes that the Pelicans have been making in certain cases, we've seen guys dribble into traffic and they're, we saw it against Boston last night and then the ball get taken away. We've seen, um, you know, a lot of sets that end up with the ball ending up in the wrong person's hands with the clock running down. Don't see a lot of uh, um, ball movement off the ball right now. You saw how slow game has been and against Dallas it was incredibly slow against Boston it was very slow and those are things the Pelicans are supposed to be able to control um and we're not seeing that yeah Alvin could definitely go deeper in the rotation but is in too and if we're you know if we want to look at everybody as for Alvin it's like I brought these guys out here and they go over seven and don't do anything so then I'm not going to play in the next game now maybe that's not the case for Jaleel Okafor who I'd like to see at least maybe protect 
try to protect the rim. But when he looks at, you know, Darius Miller on one night, he gives him 13 and the next night he gives him zero. I, I understand where Gentry's probably feeling like I don't, I, I don't have any buttons to push with. Him. And then just that sense of the last game when we're in the locker room and the Pelicans are talking about, and Drew says this, well, we've got time. We've got time. Going back to when DeMarcus arrived, when he got traded to New Orleans, and the Pelicans were, what, two, two and a half games out of the playoffs at that point? And everybody was like, well, they can make a run. They can make the playoffs. And what did the Pelicans keep saying every time they lost the game? We got time. We're close enough. We've got time. To me, that mindset bothers me. Because Solomon Hill was the only one in the locker room that night who said, we can't keep giving away games in November, December, because you don't make them up in April. And that's what you want to hear out of the team at this time. So something mentally does not resonate for me with this team. It doesn't feel right. And then the quotes to Tiffany Davis in the article in ESPN, where he's saying, well, I'm the leader and it starts with me. Well, we've heard all that too. Again, it's not about the words at this point. It's about what it's going to do on the court. What are you committed to on a night, nightly basis? Are you committed to defending? Are you committed to getting the ball to where it needs to be? Are you running the offense? And that's something that you question about this team. Not their professionalism. I don't think that they're unprofessional. But I question their commitment to doing what they do. And is it because there's a mental problem? Is it because a relationship problem? Is it because a schematic problem? We can't answer that question today. But if you, as we look at the film and as we watch with our own eyes in real time, we just see that there are just far too many mental mistakes on a nightly basis. And last night, for me, when you look at a Boston team that's depleted in the way that they were, I don't care if it's that the rest of the guys that they were playing were 20 and 21 years old, except for Marcus Morris. They played a bunch of kids who she as disciplined, who shouldn't be, um, who shouldn't understand their roles as well as the Pelicans do. And they were outplayed on a possession to possession basis by a very young team. And, and so that's, that's disconcerting. I mean, it's not just these alternating wins, but they're four and eight in their last 12. And everybody has a part to play in that. Yeah. Fair points. Uh, sombering note. Uh, indeed. Ali, uh, I want to continue with some of the stuff that David was talking about. Uh, depleted bench, uh, not just with injuries, but just heading into the season. It's something that he mentioned. We talked about it at length. The Pelicans weren't deep enough to sustain any of these losses to their bench. Guys like Etwan Moore, Nikola Meritich, Alfred Payton, among others. But he did bring up a, a name. Jaleel Okafor is somebody who hasn't really given the Pelicans any meaningful minutes. He's just appeared in 13 games uh, in five minutes in those games. Pretty much just mop-up duty for the majority of that. And we could really use a, a big presence like him, not just defensively, as Grubb mentioned, but also offensively when the Pelicans go through these lapses, when they're having trouble getting into the paint. He's somebody who potentially could be brought into New Orleans to give you that scoring punch down there when you can't get to the rim, when Julius Randle has to rest and you need somebody to, to, to penetrate. He's somebody who can do that for you. Why do you think the Pelicans haven't given him a look yet? That's a great question. I've been asking myself that for weeks, but especially of late since these injuries have hit. Um, and it doesn't really make any sense to not even have a look at the guy and just throw him out for a few garbage time minutes um, because Cech Diallo hasn't been a world beater. He's had some good games where he's brought some energy, but overall, when they're trying to feed Cech, I mean, you're just on pins and needles thinking, wow, is he going to Ashik it again? Because, I mean, let's face it, he's had some decent passes thrown his way, and he's just not catching the ball. And when he does, he can't finish around the rim. I mean, this guy can barely get up for a dunk when there's nobody in front of him. For some reason, he's lost a lot of his athleticism since he first arrived, and I know we've talked about that in the past. But you're right, Jaleel Okafor should be given a chance considering his resume. I mean, if he's as healthy as we all think he is, and he's in as great a shape as he is by really working his tail off this summer, you would think there'd be a place for a guy that can put up 20 points, can dominate the paint, and hell, maybe he can honestly deflect some of all those drives that the Pelicans are you know, getting onslaught with every night that only Anthony Davis similarly can do anything about. Why not give Okafor a chance with uh, those minutes when Davis does sit down? So, yeah, Preston, it's a mystery. I'm surprised Gentry hasn't gone there yet. You've got to think in practice they haven't seen something either. He hasn't picked up their strategies. Um, he's, you know, not being able to get up and down the court as fast as they like, even though that shouldn't make any sense because, as David just mentioned, and I tweeted yesterday, Pelicans play with zero pace yesterday, absolutely none. So that would have been a perfect game to throw him in, I thought. But anyways, yeah, 
getting outside of the topic, he should be given some minutes. Pelicans are reaching in some of these games, and when things aren't working for you, I think a coach should try something else on the end of the bench, and it's surprising Julio hasn't had his number called yet. Now, Kevin, we've got a couple of other options. Uh, obviously, Gentry went back to Ian Clark last night. Tim Frazier got played off the floor pretty quickly. I uh, should mention that Tim Frazier is leading the NBA in assist ratio right now, and that's creating a lot of easy looks for the Pelicans. That's getting their offense going early. And as Ali mentioned, I think two weeks ago on the last time we had this pod, this team seemingly thrives when they score points early. And so it's a difficult uh, position to put Gentry in when he has to choose between offense and defense like he did last night. But Ian Clark got a lot of those minutes, uh, gave the Pelicans pretty much nothing. Ali has some of his numbers uh, up. I'm going to pull them up right now on what Ian Clark has done. Uh, this year in 14 minutes per game, less than four points on 35% from the field, 29% from three-point range. I'm going to continue banging the drum, as I'm sure we all are. It would be great to see Frank Jackson out there. Uh, he's averaging 29 points per game in just three games, shooting over 50% from the field. Granted, this is G League. It's the Texas Legends. What are some other things you think Gentry can do? Uh, like Grubb mentioned, he's he's struggling to get help from the bench right now. What options do the Pelicans have? Yeah, I mean, Ian Clark has just been a complete negative, and they should not be playing him right now. I mean, I'd rather just see what Kendrick Williams could give you if you're not going to bring Frank Jackson back, you know, go a little bit bigger, um, see what happens there. But in terms of what we are just talking about also, I mean, with Okafor, you would have to think that the reason he's not getting minutes is uh, on the defensive end. Like, they must be something in practice because, he, you know, that's he is a skilled offensive player, um, and it seems like that he could, I mean, with the def defense being as bad as it is already, like, would it hurt to really throw him out there? Like, is is Czech that much of a plus defender more than what Okafor is going to give you on the offensive end? I don't think so. Especially when we're seeing, um, you know, we're having trouble creating offense and we're having trouble. We don't have, like, a half-court offense anymore. We don't have half-court sets, it doesn't seem like. We're not scoring in transition then we're not scoring. So, you know, we're not moving. We're not moving the ball. And that goes back to not having a ball handler. But if you have that problem, but you have a guy like Okafor, who's great in the post, if you just have somebody that can get him the ball near the basket, then you might mitigate some of that some of that issue. And I think that's a big thing. Um, Frank Jackson, I think, should be getting all of Ian Clark's minutes because Ian Clark isn't giving you anything. And if Frank's not giving you anything. At least he's learning while he's doing it. Like Clark is, you know, what he is at this point, and he's not going to get better, and he's not going to, you know, you're not trying to develop him. So I would like to see Frank get those minutes. Uh, Frank has this, like, I don't know. It's There's certain players that you see that aren't getting minutes around the league that just sort of have this aura about them that you feel like if they got a chance, they would be a very good player. And I feel like Frank has that a guy that I also thought had that as uh, Jerron Blossom game, who was just recently signed by the Cavs. Um, and he put up a great game the other night. And uh, Larry Drew said he's going to start playing in more minutes. It's just this thing about them that you just see when they're on the court. They just feel like a real player, even when they're young and making mistakes and not contributing uh, the correct way right now. You can just have a feeling about them. And I think... I don't think I'm the only one that feels this way about Frank. I mean, a lot of us have said that. So might as well just throw him out there because you're not getting anything consistent from anybody else. And I think part of the problem is also with Frank is that when they played him, it's again another situation where he doesn't get a defined role because with <laughs> before we got Tim Frazier in there and without another point guard, out there they were forcing him to play point and I think he's more of an Ian Clark type player where he's more off the ball a little bit of a combo guard cuts shoots uh catch and shoot those sort of things um so I think he needs to play with a point guard to really maximize him and also you want him to learn how to do that because that's what he's naturally geared towards it seems um so again it goes back to trying to find another point guard to play alongside him uh but I think we've seen enough on the ball defense from him that shows that he's better on ball def defender than most players on our bench. Uh, he, he plays with effort and, uh, and energy. And at least, you know, at least he brings that. Some of those guys can't even bring the effort and, and energy. So anything else he'll give us over that is a bonus, but all the while he's learning and improving. So 
Um, while it's great to see how good he's doing in Texas, and I'd love for him to be uh, for us to have the luxury of letting him play there and develop even further, I think we need to throw him into the fire a little bit because we just have no, no sparks off the bench right now. All right, we've talked about Frank Jackson. We've talked about Jaleel Ogafor. The Pelicans obviously brought in Andrew Harrison on the second of their two-way contracts last week. We have yet to see any meaningful minutes from him. We did see him in a couple of spot uh, minutes in garbage time. Grub, are you expecting anything from Andrew Harrison in the upcoming weeks? No, not really. I mean, you know, basically I just think of him as a, as a spot filler because they needed a guard, because you know, due to these injuries and due to Frank going down. Um, I just think that he's a spot filler. I mean, you don't you don't bring a, a guy who's a veteran. I mean, this is what it, Frank. Uh, this is Harrison's what third year now, so you don't bring a guy who's, who's in his third year on a two way if you think he's going to be a real contributor. You know, you're just using him as a, as a um, an emergency uh, tool in, ca- in case you know smash glass in case there's a fire. So I just I, I just don't see Harrison doing things. You know, he's not really going to run the offense. You know, the, the things that they brought him in for is don't turn the ball over. He's a decent shooter. Um, he gives you a little bit of size at the guard position, but he's not going to change anything. And, and, and that's the situation that the Pelicans are in right now. Like the, the more we talk about the second unit, it's like, can you find anybody who can do something better than, than the guys who are on the roster right now? And that's not going to be found on the roster right now. And it just, it, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a frustrating thing because you, there are options out there. It feels like we've talked about all the options for this team to upgrade its bench. And for whatever reason, either the Pelicans are waiting um, to, to, to get the market to where they want it to be, or they're satisfied with what they have right now. And they just expect better results. We're not seeing a, an overhaul of the roster um, in the way that it should um, on that, on that bench level. Um, but yeah, I don't see Andrew Harrison becoming a difference maker for this team. Uh, it's puzzling why they would bring him uh, in under those circumstances, unless it's just insurance should the unthinkable happen and the Pelicans lose one of Tim Frazier or Ian Clark and face an even more unforgiving uh, situation. Ali, something that Steve Shea wrote on Twitter today that got a lot of attention was basically an offense engineered by Anthony Davis facilitating. Uh, I'm going to read some of the tweets. Uh, he had a nice thread that I encourage anybody to check out. I think I just pulled it away. Anyway, uh, you get the general gist of it. The defense collapse anytime Anthony Davis has the ball, two to sometimes three defenders. And we've seen that he's grown a bit more comfortable with it this season, going eight assists or more, more times ever than in his career before. And I think he's averaging five on the year, which is a career best for him. However, last night, he kind of went away from that. Do you see Anthony Davis as even having the potential to grow into this long-term facilitator that Steve Shea thinks the Pelicans should gear him towards? Before this season, I would have said no, but considering what we've seen out of him already, and I'm talking about just having assist games where he, say, uh, had registered like five or more assists, Uh, and I think he had, what is this, a season or a career high of nine recently, and he's just been bouncing around in that area and and those numbers between like five and nine quite a bit this year, and before this year, he, he was never in this territory. You know, you just never saw him even passing out a double team where it actually made a difference instead of just, you know, throwing it out and then trying to the offense having to basically restart and look somewhere else for an option or an option. So AD has definitely shown signs of being able to get his teammates involved. And that's why I think, I think that's what really bothered David and myself, at least about yesterday's game, that this guy suddenly decides to uh, hoist up 34 shots, regardless of where he was on the floor, regardless of how many uh, Celtic defenders were on him. Uh, he basically like shut it down as to where he didn't even look for any teammates outside of the first quarter. And I'm sorry, that's just not good enough. And I don't care if you've got Ian Clark out there going over for five, you still got to make those passes. You still got to keep your teammates involved because guess what? Half of the battle is keeping your guys awake, keeping them uh, engaged as to where they're going to run back defensively, do their job. Anytime I've ever played basketball and you play with one guy that keeps jump or hoisting up those shots you know, you just you kind of lose interest. And I'm positive that happens in the NBA. I mean, we've heard stories about it. That's why people don't like playing with certain people. Like, And, and that's why Carmelo gets a bad rap and the other volume score, Kobe. And, that, and that's why you don't want to see it out of your star player. And AD kind of went there last night. And it's not a winning formula. I looked it up just now. And anytime AD has taken 26 or more shots, the Pelicans are 20 and 19. When he goes past 30, you know, you may think he's hot or something. Same thing. The uh, Pelicans record is seven and seven. So it doesn't really help to go there. And I just feel like 
you've got to just go ahead and kick that ball out, find Solomon Hill, find Darius Miller. And Solomon's been hot lately from three. Darius was two for four. He had made two big ones in a row in that first half and seemingly didn't have another good shot the rest of the game. So it is on AD in those moments because we saw Julius Randle still passing last night. I know he only had four assists, but you you look up at his stats, he had more passes than uh, balls he caught. And AD was just the opposite. So it's a rare occurrence. Don't want to get on AD too much. But again, it was just another contributing problem, I felt. That's where the Pelicans just never gave themselves a chance to win or come back uh, against Boston doing the things that they're best at. So you've got to hold Anthony Davis accountable. I feel like a lot of people are jumping to his aid today on Twitter simply because they think that, you know, we're being overly harsh or something. But you know what? Everybody's culpable on a loss. Uh, Everybody's culpable every time they touch the ball. So I think it's right, and I'm glad Shea posted that because gravity is a big deal. The goal of any offense is to beat the defense as easily as they can. And if you can create that gravity just by one player touching it, you've got to take advantage of it. And the Pelicans failed to do that. Anthony Davis failed to do that last night. And you can follow him at Steve Shea 33 Kevin. He said last night, Anthony Davis only had two assists, and it wasn't because his teammates missed shots. He had just two potential assists, and his teammates converted both chances. He went on in his thread. He said, the good news is that AD is averaging a career-high five assists per game. When he gets fewer than five, New Orleans is eight and two. When he doesn't, or sorry, when he gets greater than five, New Orleans is eight and two. When he doesn't, New Orleans is just six and 13. So, Kevin, do you think the best solution to the Pelicans' point guard problem actually just lies in Anthony Davis distributing to his teammates a bit better? I mean, that would certainly help. I don't think that's the answer. Um, We need him to do that. But we also need other playmakers on the roster because he can't do it all on his own. It's not his – that's not his typical game. It's becoming part of his game. It's a game part that he needs to develop and, and use more. But, he, uh, you know, you don't want Anthony Davis point forward. You want Anthony Davis go-to scorer, uh, alpha alpha dog that can also create for others and make his teammates better. You want uh, some other guys that can run the offense um, that are more adept at it, especially because, look, what do we talk about all the time? Anthony Davis, one of the biggest question marks about him is his ability to lead and if you're putting the ball in his hands and having him control the offense and be the offensive leader, then you're giving it to a guy who's not a great leader. I mean, he leads by example. He doesn't get people in the right positions. He doesn't talk a lot on defense. Um, he doesn't orchestrate an offense. Um, I, you still need another ball handler. You still need another floor general. Um, and that's just what it is. Well, Grub, we've got some breaking news. Apparently, the New Orleans Pelicans organization must be listening to our podcast because they just announced today that the team has recalled Frank Jackson from the Texas Legends in three games, 29 points on 52% shooting, as we mentioned, four rebounds, three assists. Uh, So let's go ahead and talk about that now because it is a bit unexpected. I think they were generally targeting him to, to stay with Texas for about two weeks, and it's only been about one week, I think. Grub, What's your take to, to this change in direction of the New Orleans Pelicans? Do you think it's because Frank Jackson has been so good? Or do you think, like we've said on the pod, they think the Pelicans just desperately need the depth? I think it's two. I think, you know, one, they, they want to bring him back because he's hot and they need scoring. Um, and then I think the second part is because the games do get spread out over these next couple of weeks, they're not playing a lot. I think it gives him an opportunity to come up and practice, play two home games. Um, and that I wouldn't be surprised if he gets sent back down after that. Um, but I think this is a, a real opportunity for him, you know, while they're still waiting for Alfred to get back, to come and be with the big club, steal some minutes, because obviously I think they aren't happy, obviously, with, with what Ian is doing and what have, you know, and what's going on with the bench. And then now that Etwan may be out a little bit, um, you know, they need Frank. And so what better time to give him these options than to have these home games and to have practice time to, to kind of maybe define his role a little bit more. I still don't imagine he'll probably play more than 15 minutes a night, but if he can give them something in those 15 minutes and if they can let him be free, because he's the, he needs to make his mistakes. He went a whole year without making mistakes. And I think he needs to be able to be put in a situation where one mistake doesn't send him right back to the bench. And hopefully he'll get that right now. All right. Our friend Charles Finley and Darth and Didia said, do you think Ferrari Frank can bring the same energy and confidence he's shown for the legends back to the Pels? Before we talk about that, Ali, we'll obviously go into this and what it means, but also 
Do you think this gives an indicator as to the health of each one more? We heard Alvin Gentry say during the telecast the other day that um, he didn't say that Etwan Moore couldn't play. He said it wasn't smart for him to play. And obviously that might be due to the fact that Etwan Moore's shots just haven't been going in. I can see that you're messaging me, right? Okay, sweet. Uh, anyway, go ahead and talk about what this means to Etwan Moore. Do you think this means Moore might miss some more games? And then go ahead and talk about what it means for Frank Jackson. Well, Alvin told us before a game last week, and it's not even been a week, that Frank was going to go to the Texas Legends to play um, – about six games over a 12-day span. Well, that, he's come back in just half that amount. So I think it definitely signals that, A, the Pelicans need help, and B, it's probably likely to do that. They're not healthy, that they don't have each one coming back, that they need somebody else besides Drew and Tim Frazier out there in the backcourt, and they don't want to keep running out lineups of Darius Miller, Solomon Hill, Wesley Johnson together. I mean, honestly, that's what we've seen, and, and that's not going to work. You need some guys who can get their shot. And we saw that with the Boston Celtics last night. They simulated everybody they threw out, regardless of how much experience they had. They had that versatility that the Pelicans roster lacks. And Frank Jackson possesses it. I know he's got no experience, but, you know, these are kind of desperate times. And with Frank playing well in the G League, I think it makes all the sense in the world. So, yeah, first, I think that's a good guess that with each one more having been back, but then he missed a game. It's a clear signal that he's not 100%. We can't expect him to get 100% since that Boston game last night. So moving forward, I think we should expect both Nico and each one. They're going to take some time, and it'll be curious to see how many games they actually do miss uh, coming up because the team desperately needs them. But again, it sounds like that Gentry's tired of just throwing them out there just because they need bodies. So, yeah, th this is a clear indicator to me that the Pelicans roster isn't healthy. The key guys that we thought – might be back from their injuries, but they're not. So, yeah, let's just hope that Frank can handle it, huh? Yeah, and if Nikola Miritich uh, is held out for any more time, in addition to Etwan Moore and Alfred Payton, the Pelicans will be desperately thin. In addition, uh, Anthony Davis, although he did have that nice alley-oop in the first quarter, uh, no no telling what's going on with that bruised hip right now and what his long-term health could be, although we'd anticipate him to go. Could be a nagging injury. Kevin, this question is from Clint White. He said, are most of the issues faced by the team in recent weeks solved by rest? And therefore, what does this say about the long-term viability of our game plan? And I'm going to kind of add to it because we did touch on some of this earlier. Obviously, the Pelicans do get a, a brief break here three nights before they face the Oklahoma City Thunder. But as we just mentioned, down three potential starters from that unit that outscored its opponents by four five. 62 minutes in Alfred Payton, Drew Holiday, Etuan Moore, Nicola Meritich, and Anthony Davis. Three of those players could How can the Pelicans weather this storm, Kevin? Well, yeah, I mean, rest also is obviously key because we have a bunch of injuries and you want these guys to get back healthy. And we saw, I think Ali mentioned it earlier, last night's game, the pace was, was dead. Like, we didn't run with any pace. Um you got a bunch of guys with tired legs that are not banged up, injured. Um, you got guys like Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday who are putting extra stress on themselves defensively because they know they can't count on anybody else around them to do their assignment or to make the right rotation or be in the right spot. So they're pressing too much, getting themselves out of their own game, worrying about somebody else's assignment. Um, so there's a lot going on. I don't think rest is – the only thing, I mean, we've already covered this. I feel like when we said we need more bodies that can actually play NBA minutes and we need help defensively and in shot creation. Um, so until we get that back, uh, you know, it, it's probably going to be this up one up, one down because you do have two, two stars on the roster and you have Randall. If they're playing minutes, you're going to win games. You're going to be in games. But until – you get a healthy Miritich, a healthy Alfred Payton back. Um, it's just going to be a struggle, honestly. All right, more. Thanks, Ali. My way. Alfred Payton, of course, is out. Pitch as out, and one more. It's designated as questionable. At lower, it does echo what we were saying. These guys are not as healthy as we were hoping they would be. Um, and this at a very important time in December, like Solomon Hill said, you can't give these games away. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, address another question, Grub. This one is from – it's something that we talked about this offseason. Um, obviously, we're not proponents of trading any of the Pelicans' big six this year. We've made that quite clear. However, uh, and really last year against the Golden State Warriors, 
taken two games from them and should have taken two games from them. Five deep, they really didn't have any bench to speak of. It was Ian Clark and Czech Diallo in that series. But now they've added Alfred Payton. They've added Julius Randle. That gives them at least six. And I think that six stack up against any other six in the NBA. Now it becomes adding did want to go for a big fish. Uh, there's no better target than Chris Middleton. Chatter from the front office about Middleton. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And he's obviously addressing uh, Chris Middleton's disinterest with the Milwaukee Bucks right now. Uh, has been bent late in games. Would you see an Etwan Moore, Nikola Mira situation for taking place? Do you think the Pelicans would be in favor of? Yeah, I think they're getting to the point with Nico is that they're going to have to do something, and he's their best app asset um, to get depth. And you know, I'm as much as Kevin has talked me into the Dinwiddie thing. I'm I'm, I'm all for that now. If you could give up Nico and his expiring deal and get Dinwiddie and uh, Carol back and maybe throw in something else that's not, you know, what um, that would, that would make that deal work. That's, that would be something worth, you know, shaking the core for. I don't, I don't think you want to do it um, and get a rental like an Ariza or something like that. Cause that doesn't help your team long-term and it doesn't solve your issues um, that you, the issues that you may be facing in the off season. Um, I think they want it. You have to get talent back. You have to get it at positions of need. And if they were to get back a Dinwiddie um, and a Carroll, you solve two of your problems. Uh, you add depth and you get ball handling. You get defensive presence on the perimeter. You lose some shooting. But this is a team that by volume is not a great shoot three-point shooting team either. But I think Dinwiddie can shoot the three well, and I think Carroll can shoot it well enough. So if that were my deal, yeah, I, I'd look into making that trade. But from the rest of the roster, looking at it, you know, Solomon Hill is only going away if you give up a lot. You got to make sure that somebody's going to take in your crap. And, and then the rest of the roster, who can you give away and get something back for? So there aren't a lot of moves that can be made um, other than, like, bringing in other mediocre players. But the big splash would have to be moving Nico. And the more he spends time away, whether it's by injury or whatever reason, or if he ends up on the bench and Randall becomes the full-time starting four, then it makes it a lot easier for the Pelicans to decide to move him on. Yeah, um, I know that they would never go for this, but like like Kevin has always preached, I don't think the Pelicans need fewer great players. I think they 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 need a better depth. And mm-hmm. if if you are going to make this move, this is the move that makes the most sense. With that being said, I think the Pelicans would have to get Malcolm Brogdon back in the deal because it's it's just becoming how evident just how difficult it is for the Pelicans to round out this roster with eight healthy players that can take these guys through the playoffs. And while this season, it does give you that added punch that you need to maybe win 45 to 50 games. Once we get into the playoffs, we're going to face the same issue that we faced last season. And that's not having enough depth to get past the second round. Not to say that we feasibly could this this year, but we are a bit more hopeful going six deep if Frank Jackson can round into shape, if we can ever get anything from Jaleel Okafor, if they can add one more piece in somebody like a Damari Carroll, a Trevor Ariza, something like that. Uh, the Pelicans have also been rumored to show interest in him. I'm sure it's something involving Solomon Hill and a and a uh, lightly protected first-round pick for Trevor Ariza's expiring contract, which would give the Pelicans a bit more space this offseason to re-sign guys like Julius Randle, Nikola Meritich, Alfred Payton, if that becomes their course of action. But let's go ahead to Kevin. Kevin, you've gone at length with some of your trade columns. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap. Well, we've got one more question after this that I'll throw to Ali. But Kevin, for now, what would your take be on a trade for Chris Middleton? Oh, I mean, Chris Middleton's a guy I've I've loved for a very long time. Um, I think if you're going to trade Miritich, I would trade him for Chris Middleton because Chris Middleton would be that long-term answer. He's locked up for a few years. He'd be that long-term answer at the small forward position, but he's also a guy who can guard uh, you know, three, four positions on the court. And he he's a good shooter. Um, he, he solves a lot of the problems that the Pelicans have, and it gives you a clear answer of what to do next. And if you could do a straight-up swap for those two, um, then you answer your long-term solution at small forward. You know that Julius Randle's your priority at power forward, and then you can take and then make another move because you still have your first-round pick if that's just a straight-up trade, um, or even if you have to throw in Etwan Moore in that. Then you could trade um, a first Solomon Hill um, 
and uh, and get Dinwiddie and Carroll back, and then you have another guy who can swing between the three and four on the bench and Carroll, you have Middleton and you have Dinwiddie, you know, for a first Solomon Hill and maybe a pick swap in a couple of seconds or something can make that work. And then now all of a sudden you have also still a deep roster, but you also solved, filled all of your major holes. You have a legit small forward, a, a very good, another option at small forward. And you also have your uh, point guard of the future on the roster. All right, now you've piqued my interest. One uh, one thing I will say is that Chris Middleton will be a free agent this summer, so the Pelicans will have to pretty much give all the money that he wants to re-sign yeah. him. They couldn't risk losing him at that point. Um, I sorry, he signed a, uh, an extension. Am I wrong there? I thought I remember him signing an extension. Uh, I don't. I don't see one. I think he's got a player option for around thirteen million, but um, I don't think. Oh he's yeah, signed... he's decline that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that that becomes the peculiar situation is you have to be confident that you can bring him back and then you have to be confident giving him what four years, $110 million. I don't know what the, what the exact numbers on that would be. Um, Ali, I'm going to end on this and then I've got to let you guys go. Cause I'm going to go ahead and drop this article. This is from hot Pelicans takes. And I'm just going to qualify by saying this. We've, we've gone at length about who needs to be culpable, the leader. He says, how long until Anthony Davis and Alvin Gentry are allowed to take blame for this awful play? How does AD get a pass for his team's shortcomings? I'm not saying he's wrong. He's absolutely right. Uh, we've seen the lack of effort early on in games, and he is the leader. We see the guys are reflected by what he does. If he comes to into a game, balls to the wall, setting screens, getting under, and getting all the rebounds and boxing guys out and, and distributing the ball, the guys follow his lead. We've seen that. It can be qualified. But, Ali, is it is it dangerous for the Pelicans to be, and for the Pelicans media, to be hard on Anthony Davis with just everything that's taking place, uh, with how depleted the bench is, with the health to all these guys? This is obviously a difficult time to the season. How do how do we tiptoe that line between blame and between giving him a pass? I don't think, especially the media, we don't tiptoe at all. We're here to do a job. And David's always reminded me of this ever since I've met him. Uh, it's a professional responsibility, really. And even if any, or if not all of us are in it for, like, say, a typical beat writer with the Advocate or the Times-Picayune, we still have taken upon that duty of, you know, honesty, truthfulness. And so by fudging around the issues, that's not going to do anybody any good. So I'm a big proponent of, you know, Anthony Davis asked for this. Let's start off with that. He asked for this by declaring himself as one of the best players in the league, the most dominant player in the league. So we should hold him to that standard. So when he is taking games off, when he is not doing something that he should, especially as a leader, we should be able to call him out on it. Um, you, you know, it, it is a line that you don't want to cross. And I've even talked to it on the radio. I get this question asked a lot. And I agree with most of the radio announcers that we should not be tiptoeing because the Pelicans, regardless whether Anthony Davis stays or goes, we want them to be a fun product. We want to be able to cheer for them. We want to be able to, you know, celebrate the highs and the lows and feel like it, it, it's an experience that's genuine. By ducking the issues all the time and, you know, catering their superstar, that never works. You know, that's rarely ever worked in history. So you don't want to, first of all, even go down that road. You don't want Del Demps throwing every future pick at an effort to keep Davis. And then when he leaves, the cupboard is dry and we're basically facing a rebuild of God knows how many years. No, I, th I think we owe it to ourselves, to the public, and even fans should. They should legitimately question uh, if they see something wrong. And if that includes a superstar not playing up to his um, abilities or his expectations, he should be called out on it. All right. Well said. Okay, guys, that's all the time we have for now. Kevin just ducked out. Uh, thank you guys all so much for tuning in yet again. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, rate us, subscribe to us on iTunes. If we get 15 likes on this episode, I'll go ahead and schedule another podcast after the Thunder game. So do us a favor <laughs> and help out in that regard. Let's let's try to get a call to action. How about that? Uh, you can follow Ali at Ali Cosell, Kevin at Kevin B for Bounce, Grub at DM Grub. Before I let you guys go, um, Ali, obviously I'm going to drop this article on Frank Jackson after this pod. Anything you're working on, sir? I'm going to touch on what we've, we've touched on here, and that's the fact that I, instead of going for that superstar like some are advocating, it totally has to be let's get the uh, depth and improve because there's so many holes. So I'm going to try and write an article about that. All right, David, follow him at DM Grub and Crescent City Sports. What are you working on, sir? 
Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow night because I want to talk to Drew Holiday specifically, and I want to see if I can get something out of him and his teammates about his kind of grasping of, of leadership on this team as well. Um, there's been a real ascension for Drew over these last couple of weeks, and, and I just want to see um, if, there, if there's a mental change in him, if there's a change in the people around him and how they perceive him, and just what's gotten him to this you know, he's taken really a springboard from where the season ended last year to putting himself in, in conversations to be among the very elite players in this league this season. So I think that's a, a story that we haven't really told yet, um, and I, really, I, I want to start digging into it. All right. Happy holidays to all of you. Best wishes to each and every one of you. It's a wonderful time of year. And while losses by our heroes can bring the, the Scrooge out of the best of us, I hope we all remember what's truly important. And I, for for one, am very grateful, uh, not just for the New Orleans Pelicans and for them coming to New Orleans in 2003, but also the community that it's kind of created uh, and given me friends like Ollie, like David, like Kevin. Um, so just want to say that I'm thankful for that this year. Uh, happy holidays to all you guys listening. I hope that you're with your family this holiday and having a great time. And hey, guys, we have an opportunity to bounce back. Uh, the odds are kind of stacked against us right now with all the injuries that are cropping up. But we still do have one of the, in my opinion, three best players in the NBA. And we've got a chance. So that's all we can say for now. For now, let's go, pals. Thank you for listening to the Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under podcast networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Technology Truths. Brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.